Um, I'm Eric, hey everyone, uh, and I have a bit of a cold, so bear with me. Uh, hopefully my voice doesn't crack in some horribly embarrassing way, although it does that actually anyway, so it should be fun. Uh, so, my talk is about how World of Warcraft saved me and my education, uh, really. <laughs> and more specifically, it's about the fear of failure and the fear of failure in our educational system. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. You met Eric Martin in a previous episode where I did some interviews at VR World. He was a co-organizer of the VR Summit at Games for Change this past festival. And Eric is somebody who I have met in the past when he was doing work at the U.S. Department of Education. He has also worked for the Office of Science and Technology out of the White House under the Obama administration. Eric is someone who, in uh, with still a very young career, has done some really extraordinary things. And I wanted to talk to him... A couple of weeks ago, when I was in San Francisco, um, not just to visit his new digs at Unity, which is a giant game engine where he now is a senior manager for education programs there, um, to talk instead about his story. I had seen his TEDx talk from Redmond, Washington, and uh, it moved me in a lot of ways that I think when you hear his story on this podcast and you you hopefully will go and watch his talk, I think uh, will move you as well. Uh, he has a story that is just all too common for young people growing up today. And I think it's motivation for practitioners to be thinking about young people like Eric as we think about the affordances of digital environments. Thanks again to Eric for sharing such a personal story on this podcast and for this audience. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation uh, as much as I did. Eric Martin, thank you for being on No Such Thing. I am so grateful that I got an opportunity to follow up with you. The last time we chatted, we were in a noisy uh, uh, room at VR World in Midtown Manhattan. Today, we are at the Unity headquarters. Is this the world headquarters for Unity? It's not actually. the. I think it's the biggest quote-unquote headquarters, okay. but actually uh, the company was basically founded by a bunch of hipsters in Copenhagen in like, oh. 2007? Okay. Six, 2006. Okay. Uh, and so the headquarters is still over there, but yeah. like, they're just riding around bikes all day. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this, that it has headquarter-level snack oh, situation. Sure. Yeah. Like... Um, Google wannabe. My, sure. my, <laughs> my, this is my children's version of like a, um, like it's like the mecca of <laughs> breakfast cereal and candy. Yeah. Um, Make sure you stuff one. your pockets when you leave. That's, That's amazing. I go grocery shopping here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were, we were downstairs in the, some amazing cereal basement of <laughs> Unity 
in San Francisco. Now we are um, upstairs in some other dreamy room that feels like... We were disrupted. (laughs) All the Silicon Valley-isms happened to us. We we pivoted uh, away from the disruption. Now back to our interview. So I was really glad... um, I am really glad that we got to do this um, as a follow-up from our quick conversation at the VR Summit, in part because I really wanted to talk to you about... um, So I leave the VR Summit, Mm -hmm. and um, I checked out your uh, TEDx Mm -hmm. talk from what is now, I'm sure, feels like... Oh, God. (laughs) Feels it was like 2013. A hundred years right. ago. It, it does it, feel like But that. it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so so um, there's this incredible story, and I think that it's such an important one. The title of your TED Talk was How World of Warcraft Saved My Life. Mm-hmm. And My Education. And My Education. And um, I have to say, I know we're going to talk about it, um, but... It was really moving to me, and it was meaningful on a bunch of different levels, I think. Um, but but before we get into some of that, mm-hmm. um, to the extent that uh, you're up for it, will you tell us a little bit about, uh, without having to recreate the talk, because we can mm-hmm. point people to it. Totally. But um, tell us about uh, your... Uh, start in some ways I feel like this is the start of your work in this field mm-hmm. um, kind of the talk that you gave feels a little bit like an origin story in hindsight mm-hmm. um, and so um, tell us about that yeah no it it, it was it totally 100% was um, I think me me working in education me working in the games industry um, the the work that I got to do in government, like it all stemmed deeply and meaningfully from those experiences. So, so um, essentially, like uh, I don't I don't know how to start like a mini life story here, but it was when I was in middle school, starting high school, I was struggling with a lot of things as kids at that age do, um, and. For me, it was a mix of depression, of uh, figuring out my sexuality, of being in a school environment that that felt uh, constrictive and felt um, like I was. It was it was a rural school, so there weren't a lot of. I mean, there were no other like gay kids, mm-hmm. and I was still figuring out if that was even what I was. Mm-hmm. And like, um, uh, and and so like. Um, there were just a lot of elements in my life that felt extremely, um, I don't know, uh, difficult really. And so, so I was trying to figure out, um, how to have more control over my life. And, and I really felt like I didn't when I was at that age. And so, uh, one way that that sometimes manifests in people is, uh, through a crisis of mental health. Um, and, and that happened to me. I went into extreme depression and I also started to suffer from, um, anorexia nervosa, uh, and, uh, 
uh, was extremely restricting what I was eating and was exercising, running for miles and miles and miles and like um, just on sheer willpower to like keep running. And, and because there were other things in my life I felt like I couldn't control, I could control myself. Um, that was really the crux of it. And, I, and it really is for a lot of kids as people mm. think like anorexia is like a food thing. And like, why don't you eat all these kids in the rest of the world are starving? Yeah. You have so much food. And like, it's, it has nothing to do with food. It is 100% about control. Um, and, and there are many different reasons that a kid might feel like they need to be in control. It might be what the media is telling them to be. It might be what they feel is lacking in other parts of their life just lots of different things but no. um so i i was struggling with that i was i was struggling with um finding finding something meaningful to do in in my own education too i i was an extremely ambitious kid uh i um had all these kinds of projects that i wanted to do in in middle school and high school and 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 felt like um, it sounds so dumb looking back, but like, you know, having to do the, the textbook work and like feeling like I couldn't do things that were more meaningful and, 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 and motivating to me. Um, like I, I was working to try and start an international Memorial day for innocent victims of war. Yeah. Um, which is like such an, a naive thing for like a, an eighth grader to do. Um, and like I wrote up a petition, I started getting collect collecting names online, and like send all that stuff off to the UN, and like uh, and gave speeches uh, in my community, and 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 sent all of that off to the UN, and I got a thank you letter back, um, and and I didn't really have like um, a a feeling like I was having any kind of meaningful impact in the world. And it all came back into this feeling of like, I just need to control myself and I need to be like a stronger, better person. Um, and so fast forward a little bit, I um, was hospitalized and I went into a hospital ward for about a, a little over a month, um, pulled out of school. Um, I guess I was, I was 14 or 15 at the time. Um, and so that was an intense experience for any kid to go through. Um, and I then came out of that and was, was terrified of going back to school where I felt like so much of the, of my mental energy had been spent before in trying to, to perfect myself and prove myself and, and, um, understand myself and, on the flip side, I, I had an amazing friend who was extremely weird and <laughs> um, was the kind of person who really didn't give a shit what people thought of of him. Um, he's he's transgender and out and loves anime and loves video games and um, loves all of the things that like you know like uh, like my uh, somewhat traditional uh, middle-class parents found to be not comforting. <laughs> yeah. Not into, like, drugs, not into, like, anything like that, but just, like, um, not this counterculture stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and I, uh, he got me into World of Warcraft, and I was playing it for the first time, and, and it was this experience of, like, uh, 
I, I fucking loved that game because I started a guild. Our guild grew to like 800 members. I was a guild leader. I had responsibility. I was, we were in charge of like doing all of these, these things in our, we, we had a community on our server of hundreds of players. You knew everyone on your server. You would like fight against the people on the other faction, invade their cities. They invade your cities. Uh, and it was incredibly powering, empowering. And I, I hadn't had no experience like that in my real life. Um, and, and I got to know my guildies, the people who were generally much older than me uh, at the time, really, really well. And like they were... Um, you know, all over the uh, the map. Like one was a librarian in in Boston. One was a nuclear engineer. One, was, you know, couple of stay at home moms. One ran a shop out of Etsy. Like to people I would just never connect with in like my life, mm. especially as like a kid in rural Maryland. Um, and 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 even some of them, like one of them, was the first person I came out to. Um, cause she was out and like, it was this experience, not just of like playing the game, but of getting to know these people mm. who were outside my world. Um, but also respected me and, and would defer to me on certain things in the sense that no one cared what you are in world of Warcraft. It's just how you play the game. Mm. Um, and so that experience was so empowering to me compared to school uh, that it it took me on this path of like, well, why is it that school like is causing so much trauma for me? And then and then for so many kids too, it is it's not a safe and comforting place to learn and grow. Um, it's it is frequently the source of uh, discomfort. Um, you know, mental health rates in our country are abhorrent. Um, other countries with traditional education systems, Western education systems, not are somewhat similar. Japan, for example, like the highest spike in youth suicide rates is exactly at the same time as school starts up for the fall. Mm. And you just have to think, like, what are we doing to cause kids to to kill themselves? It's mm. like it's in, totally insane. So, um, all of that is to say, like, I went through that experience. I, I fell in love with World of Warcraft. I decided that in college, um, I went to the University of Maryland. I, I, I couldn't stand the idea of just, like, doing, like, there was nothing that anyone presented to me that was like, I want that career. Mm. So I, I made my own major, and it was new media and global civics. I noticed that. Like, what is that? <laughs> it's, it was like Viking women's studies and government and politics and education courses and like, um, like being a teaching assistant for a little bit or like, um, it was just anything that I thought was really interesting and was like a puzzle piece to this question of these new technologies can be more empowering for us as individuals than some of the traditional systems we've had and more importantly. Some of these technologies can can uh, help us think about how the real world should be different. Mm. Um, could be more empowering. Could be more. Um, could be could provide more opportunity to more people. Um, and look, I'm like uh, you know a a white kid from rural Maryland, middle class. Like I have plenty going for me, right? 
and there are, there are so many kids too, not just in the U.S. but globally, who like don't even have a tenth of the opportunities that I've had, and I still had to overcome with like some of these struggles. So like, I, it is so critical that we don't just think, oh, we need more of the systems that we've had to solve the problems of that today's youth are facing. Mm. We have to fundamentally rethink some of these systems and think about how technology gets us there. Um, and yeah, <laughs> so it's a lot. I'm, I'm through a shit ton at you there. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> um, it, it's such a personal story and I feel really grateful, uh, to, to be here, to hear it with you and to share it. Totally. Um, I think that there are a lot of educators. I think that there are a lot of youth development professionals, um, teachers in schools, parents mm -hmm. who um, go through mental health issues with their kids mm -hmm. and really don't know the first thing about how, where to get started to totally help um, lift young people up in the way that uh, they all deserve. I One of the things that really struck me about your story, I think um, if not all of us, then very close mm -hmm. um, have a relationship with uh, mental health issues. Totally. If it's not ourselves, it's a family member. Yeah. Um, and there is a stigma in, uh, certainly in our country, I think that is global. Um, and when I saw your, you tell your story, mm -hmm. um, it really struck me as an issue of, uh, access and, um, it, it you know, and it, when we think about technology and accessibility, right. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't often think of how technology can foster um, relationships for young people totally. that are nurturing. Right. Um, we're often thinking about screen readers and things that are really important, but a different a different um, category altogether. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I think that yours is a, a is one. Uh, story in a million, I think you have had the courage to tell it, which is the big difference. Mm -hmm. And um... yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot to pull apart. Like, and there's a, a bunch of different directions for, yeah. of things we could talk about. But like, um, I mean, I, I would say a few things too. Just observing my experience was one. Like, obviously, I would never say like every kid who's facing like social isolation or anxiety or depression. Um, like World of Warcraft is like the solution. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like um, it is it is a technology and an experience and I found incredible value, value through it. Mm -hmm. But it was because I found incredible people through it, right? Mm -hmm. And the technology enabled that. Mm -hmm. um, but like I'm, I'm not like in the camp that like, oh, you just throw video games at something and it gets better. Right. Like, so I want to be clear about that. But Yeah. I, I, yeah. Can, can we just pull that apart a, yeah. a tiny bit? Which is that um, 
I think there there may be a lot of educators or parents listening who don't know the difference mm-hmm. in in how World of Warcraft affords social relationships mm-hmm. different from if your kid is sitting in front of a TV um, or a TV or a, a more passive game or one that's right. not connected um, uh, totally to through people. the internet right to other people yeah um, so just tell us a little bit about how gameplay works and how you're connected to other people. Sure. So uh, in in World of Warcraft, massively multiplayer online role-playing game, um, you are I – think, I think it's helpful to think about these things in terms of like uh, the, the way that a game gives you choice over who you are and how you – and how you are. So like uh, in World of Warcraft – you start the game and you choose a class. You choose a profession that you want to be. Mm. And right from the get-go, when you start your character, you see the pathway of all the things that you need to get really good at to be really good at that profession. Um, and uh, What was yours? Mine was, I was a mage. I was a, a fire mage. <laughs> Blood elf. Uh, and, and so right from the get-go, the game gives you a guide that says, hey, do you want to be like those other really badass, amazing players? Well, this is what you need to do to get there. Mm. Um, life rarely does that. Uh, and when it does, it it, it does it uh, in these uh, terms that are like, um, are you going to make enough money doing this thing? Are you going to, you know, there are things that kids don't wrap yeah. their hand around. So, but a game, a game says like, you want to be this? Well, this is what you have to do. Um you enter the game and there's all these other people who have also just started uh, in the same same zone as you um, and and you all you, the game forces you to start working together with other people to, to do different quests to win different battles um, and slowly you realize that you really need to be part of a group to be successful in this game um, and so you join a guild or you start a guild and a guild is just like in the real world a group of people with a common mission to do something awesome yeah. and so um, my guild was the Dragon Maw Vanguard um, and uh, I didn't I I, I um, really didn't know what I was getting into <laughs> but like uh, you know there was a guild meeting where everyone logs on at the same time uh, and they share updates about all the different activities the guild is doing mm. uh, some guildies are working on collecting the right materials to craft certain uh, certain pieces of armor or certain trinkets some some people in the guild are planning the next uh, raid which is when you go to a specific dungeon and you like you know fight all the right monsters and get more stuff and win points and some guildies were planning out the the story behind our guild yeah. and like actually writing like tons of stuff online and and a critical piece of my story actually was i in 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 high school when i did go back to school after the hospital experience i started writing uh, a blog with the librarian guildie i mentioned um, about ways that video games could be useful and, and just being critical of video games too, like LGBTQ representation in games mm-hmm. and diversity in games and games and education. I started like pulling apart some of these things and like it wasn't homework. It was way more interesting to me than homework, 
the my my friend Jacob, who's the librarian, would edit my writing. He would help me think through my arguments. I was getting like an like awesome English education outside of my traditional education. Yeah. And it was because it was all in the context of running this guild, playing this game with these other people and trying to be really good at it and trying to like think about, okay, how does that, how does that apply to what's going on in the rest of the world that I see? Um, so, um, and there, there are things about games that I think we, we sh like from game design that we can learn and apply to other parts of our lives. Like, even the more passive games, like um, you take something like, uh, I mean, the freaking example that always gets thrown around is like it's Mario and like you get, you fail, you learn by failing is like you get a little bit further, you fall down the hole, you like realize you need to jump over the hole at a certain speed in a certain way. So you get a little further and like every game is a learning game. Every game is optimized to teach you how to win the game. Mm -hmm. um, and good game design gets you all the way through the game, and at the end of it, you're good at the game. Yeah. Um, and and it's actually a really important thing for us to think about in terms of education because um, failure is an incredible learning tool. Yeah. Uh, and and we often frame learning as: Are you smart or are you not? Are you good at this subject or bad at this subject? And we rarely frame it in terms of. Um, you can be good at all of these subjects and it's a degree of effort and passion that rec that determines where you wind up excelling at those different subject areas. Yeah. A, a lot of times kids, you see this with like programming or, or coding um, uh, or math or a lot of STEM skills, especially for uh, kids who have faced bias uh, against them in participating in those subject areas. Like, like women are often told uh, like, by professors that uh, like this has happened a, a few times now like USC I think there was a case where a professor was would not take on uh, female students to be his graduate assistants because he thought they were worse at math mm -hmm. um, and there's actually there was a study done uh, where they told one group of girls um, girls perform worse at math and they told the other group that girls and boys perform the same at math and the girls and they both groups took a test, a math test, and the girls who were told they perform worse uh, did worse on the test. Uh, and it's that that's internalized bias about what society tells us we're good at um, that actually becomes manifest often. And the, and the, a game does not have that disposition to tell you like you're good at this or you're not good at this. It just yeah. presents you with the, yeah. the clean slate option. The system is sort of objective yeah. in, in that regard. Yeah. And look, Can, the games industry is like terrible towards like women and minorities and yeah. stuff, so I'm not going to... Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with some, some students and um, some folks from Mozilla, mm -hmm. um, and, and we were talking about web literacy, but we were having this conversation about the, the, the benefits of, uh, and drawbacks mm -hmm. of, um, young people having the opportunity to have, um, multiple identities mm -hmm. and to be able to use spaces online um 
to try things on, to get comfortable, to um, just explore, explore. Yeah. Um, and I and I I the, the, there were two perspectives on it. One was that uh, the world of the internet now is kind of um, we're slowly getting rid of the anonymity right um in part because it's harder and harder to be anonymous um and that real life will be your online life the, right. another perspective was um that especially for minority groups um political uh, descent political de exactly so you know exactly where i'm going yeah. that uh, there's a big push to have anonymity uh, continue to to um, be a possibility. Do you have feelings about that specifically with respect to, mm -hmm. um, you know, so so my organization teaches web literacy and and we talk to young people about curating identities online. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just curious. Hmm for us and for the other educators who listen to the podcast to have your perspective on, um, on anonymity and, yeah. uh, and, and the world of, of network spaces in totally. this case, world of Warcraft was one, but, but we could certainly apply elsewhere. Um, I, I'm not an expert on this. Of course. So, <laughs> so I think, I don't know that me, there is an expert. On no, this. sure. That's fair. So, I think it would be sad if we lost access to all to the places where anonymity is possible. But I'm not sure that anonymity is like it it is certainly not always a saving grace of the internet at all. So I think like for me, you know, I I got to come out to a, a fellow guildie and had it was like a test run almost. It's like how do you do this? How do you talk to another human about this? Which I'd never done in my real life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, World of Warcraft is an anonymous game. You don't have to share who you are in the real world. Um, and that was incredibly empowering for me at that age to have access to, to do that. Um, it, it gave me confidence so that I could figure out how to do it in my real life. Uh, it gave me a safe space to talk about it without fearing that it would affect my real life. Um, and I think that is true of so many things besides just coming out. Like there are so many ways in which being anonymous online is, is useful for talking about things that society has made difficult for people to deal with, especially mm -hmm. young people. Um, and so, so it, it, it would be sad if we lost that. However, um, you see the dark side of it where people get all like so many like death threats and like just awful, awful stuff sent to them online. If you're if you're like a woman in the tech industry and you are advocating for more diversity in the games that you're playing or your like this is this is gamergate was the case um yeah or or even if you're like a public persona and you're just like whether you're 
which which is becoming much broader in its definition from just like 30 celebrities in Hollywood to like, you know, journalists on Twitter. And like, if you're a journalist and you write something that people disagree with politically, now you have like these white supremacist skinheads running around and like some of them will like actually make real death threats and now all of them can see you and access your profile and send you messages Mm -hmm. no way of filtering out which of those are real and which of those are just these angry people who are never actually going to do anything and like that's terrifying and terrible um and 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 deeply unjust in terms of uh of enabling people to cause fear um to others so shit yeah (laughs) it's it's a really hard problem i think um it's complicated yeah i don't know that the solution will ever be one way or the other it it, like it's what your organization does which is give kids the tools so that when they use these platforms it's not like they know the way to be responsible and smart about it you're not going to like my parents didn't like that I was on World of Warcraft. I would play at 2 a.m. in the morning when they didn't know. You're never going to keep your kid off of the game. Mm-hmm. Like and if you do, they're going to go to a friend's house. Like it, yeah. there's no way to lock it out. Yeah. So you have to equip them. Yeah. You um so I, I'm going to uh flash forward a yeah, little bit totally. just just to I know you are busy in your uh current role and i'm visiting you here at your office and and getting to sneak in some time so i don't want to keep you forever when we first emailed about having this conversation you said the talk is a little embarrassing now (laughs) um tell me why oh god i was just so young (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean also also i think because so I had this incredible opportunity where I, I got to, st- like, straight out of college, I worked at the Department of Education, Office of Educational Technology, and then I, I got to work at the White House, Office of Science and Technology Policy. Um, and I worked there for a year and a half, mostly on education and technology policy issues. Um, and and it was, was such a steep learning curve experience for yeah. me. And part of it was... You know, when I gave that talk, I was, I was, I don't even remember exactly how old I was, maybe 18, 17, I don't know. Um, And, and I was, um, I had more of the mindset of like, you know, the system is horrible. You have to burn it down. Like why, why have standardized testing at all? Why are there these parts of the system that are just as an end user of the system, as the person who experiences the end result of what people have concocted, it's just felt incredibly problematic. Then actually becoming someone who was working directly on federal policy and working on national initiatives to improve access to technology and improve the way that we measure how students are performing um, against things like academic standards which as a high school student you don't give a shit what the hell the academic standard is that you're being tested for it's so ridiculous Um, but as a policymaker you realize those tools are in place because they're relatively new tools um, for us to understand which kids are getting access to some degree of quality education versus the kids who are not and and before we had some of those tools in place um 
like requiring states send their standardized testing results to the federal government. Um, we didn't necessarily know if like a Latino community was being underserved in their education and, and thus right. being treated unjustly. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's it hard. was a growing up process, you know? Yeah, and it's hard to think of uh, education standards as, a, a, an, a again, an accessibility tool. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a big part of the intention. It is a big part of the intention. Yeah, and imperfectly done, absolutely. Yes, And, like, that no was doubt. a big change in the obama administration too so so you're wiser now yeah <laughs> yeah um, which would make some sense like because <laughs> because in in these brief few years yeah. um you have worked for the white house you've written memos to mm -hmm. president obama uh you've organized a summit for uh the games for change conference mm -hmm. you are now um Working on education initiatives for unity, mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's um, a little silly, and you you have to. Uh, well, you don't have to, but but when you look at the talk, mm -hmm. which you probably don't very much, no. Um, but um, are you, are you proud that you did it? The talk, um. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, there are so many things I think I would have changed. I haven't watched it in a while, but I think the last time I did, it was just like pausing every 30 seconds to just like, <sighs> yeah, Ugh. <laughs> I get it. Um, but like, uh, I, I was proud because I think it was, it was really scary to talk about, um, depression and, and anorexia, no less, which is something that, uh, it, interestingly, like anorexia is one where men actually face a lot of stigma um, because it's seen as something that is more pervasive among women. Um, so to be like a man with anorexia is like uh, a whole other set of ridiculous, stupid stigma. Yeah. Um, so, well, to, yeah. To be, to be um, either, but to be a man with depression. Right. But, right, uh, as also a baseline, super, yeah. Lots of stigma. Then totally. you add anorexia, and and um, it like blows gay, people. It's like a little cherry on top. It, it, <laughs> it blows people's minds in um, in so many ways, and it's it uh, it just has so much to do with how little we're helping young people grow up with an understanding of totally. mental health and and an I understanding had no framework of understanding these things at all. Yeah, Zero. and and that. That all of us will face them mm -hmm. at some point in our lives. And um, I, anyway, I'm proud that you did it <laughs> for what it's worth. We haven't known each other that long. But when I, I saw the video, I was just so uh, – I was grateful that there is a World of Warcraft because mm -hmm. um, you've gone on to uh, do some really important things. And you're a young guy and are going <laughs> to continue to uh, – do some really important things in especially i hope you stay in this space mm -hmm. um i appreciate because that. as as you know well we need you <laughs> <laughs> right um if if you had so for the the and uh, you know 
we're talking to you as a young person who's been through it. We're not talking to you as an expert. So right. I, I want to encourage um, everyone who is listening to this uh, to reach out to professionals, of course. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, if you had, as a young person who's been through it, yeah. if a youth developer, an educator in a classroom, a parent um, were to ask you, what, what's the one piece of advice that um, you think would be most valuable to them in facing something that mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure is so daunting. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for I'll start with the parent because I think that's a little easier. Uh, for a parent, I think the biggest thing is you really have to sit down and just listen. And you just, you just have to listen. You can't have strong opinions. Because if you have strong opinions about what your kids should be doing or who they should be or how they should be, regardless of whether maybe you're onto something, the kid is going to hear that and like feel like you're trying to prescribe their personality upon them and, and who they are upon them um, and shut you out. And like a kid needs to feel like they have the opportunity to define themselves. Um, and 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 to be in control uh over their life and over the way that they're treated um and and respect is like one of the most important things you can give a kid is to and the maximum respect you can give them is to really not listen to them in a patronizing way not listen to them in a oh that's wonderful dream for you someday but now you have to actually focus on uh, like reality way but like actually just listen to them um I don't know if that really made a lot of sense, but made uh, perfect sense. for, and then for kids, uh, that one's harder because, <laughs> um, you can't bullshit to a kid, right? And depression really fucking sucks. Um, there is, there is no solution. Like there's an awesome, awesome book, um, by, Oh shit! What is her name? Um, uh, it's it's the the one the meme with the mop and the um, all the things meme. Zoe something. Hold on. Wait. Can I just Google it real yeah. quick? This is the the wonderful part about having the internet at your fingertips is I get to just um, waste some air <laughs> while you. <laughs> Uh, While you Google the answer. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, oh, my God. Come on, Internet. Don't fail me. Best depression webcomic. That's what I'm searching. Um, hyperbole and a half. Hyperbole and a half. Yep. Um, so the book is uh, Hyperbole and a Half, uh, and it is absolutely, like, the best description, the most well-related example and analogy of what depression is really like and i highly recommend it for any parents or or even people out there who are struggling with this issue um she just does like an incredible job of making it relatable and understandable yeah um i mean for kids i think like um you you just have to understand that it's not something that you're just going to find the solution for. 
and that you will be stronger for having experienced it um, and that it is just going to really suck while you're experiencing it but you have to like hold on to those little things that um, whether they're an outlet like for me it was World of Warcraft and you find some interesting tangible exciting part of your life that even if other people don't think that it should be uh, you can find something really meaningful there um, and you just have to hold on to those things and, and like for me I made a fucking career out of it so <laughs> um, yeah there's no good answer I think the the most important thing actually is also learning just how to think about it from a, a meta level is to be able to take a step back from how you're feeling and just think and, and recognize how you're feeling. And it won't change it, mm -hmm. but at least you'll feel a little more in control of what is going on. You'll be able to observe yourself. Yeah. Um, For the educator, yeah. what would you say? Um, it's like, you know, that's I, have, really hard. I have a student and I think, I think that they're struggling. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing is is to make sure that a student feels like this is this won't solve all the students' problems, but for for a group of them, a lot of the time a kid enters a place of depression because they feel like they're not in control of their life or they're not being uh, given the respect or the space to figure out who they want to be and do the things that they want to do, they just feel out of control or they feel um, lost, um, and that no one and no one understands. Um, and so, I had an amazing teacher who was an English teacher, and he would just indulge me, like he. When I had these projects like that Innocent Victims of War Memorial Day, he was like, that's an awesome idea. I will help you edit your speech. Like, he helped me do that. He encouraged me to do the things which were not anything related to the class. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, oh, here's some extra homework. Yeah. It was like, what is it you want to do? And let me help you do that thing. Because it's more important than whatever freaking homework assignment you have. Yeah. Um, and that's like a hard thing for a teacher sometimes to do, but it, like to take the step back and recognize like whatever you're asking of a particular student, if it's not actually making their life better, why are you asking it of them? Yeah. Um, there are, there are models now at which you're probably well aware of, uh, but there are models now, like the one that comes to mind is called Iowa Big. Hmm. Um, and they are, they started as a, a single school and um, they have a model where students can can propose projects for credit. Oh, that is awesome! Um, yeah. And it's the educator in the room. Uh, their job is not to then like add things and um, you know right. make a bunch of changes to the project they want to do in order to fit it into standards or whatever else. Right. Um, the job of the educator is is literally to support the student in doing whatever it is they want to do, hopefully even encouraging them to go farther. Right. And then their job is just to back up um, 
exactly what it is the student does, back it up into a, a credit system and make sure that they're That's getting super awesome. credited. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would love to see, so, so a, a different, so. a different way of asking the question that I was asking is yeah. as somebody who's worked a little bit in policy, totally. If let's pretend uh, someone just waved a wand over this room and said, Eric and Mark, uh, resources are, are no object. Right. Um, what's the policy that's going to help uh, make sure that... So so on the policy side, what's what was exciting was at the t very tail end of the Obama administration, we actually got these regulations out the door, which, which are obscure, wonkish regulations, but they permit seven states to um, submit an alternative assessment system for a select group of districts in each yeah. state to do, really it was very open-ended, um, to do uh, project-based assessment, to do some like competency-based assessment, to, to measure students' growth based off of some format that was different than just a standardized test. Or if it was a standardized test, it was using technology to create a modular test or something that was not just the freaking pen and pa pe pe pen and pencil paper whatever <laughs> thing at the end of the semester and like yes. um we we got that out the door i'm i'm not sure if any states are taking advantage of it right now since states are still waiting for half of their regular uh title 1 and title 4 funding uh so from a policy standpoint, like we were making some progress to open that up a little bit. Um, it it didn't happen until the end of the Obama administration. I wish that effort had had the opportunity to continue forward and to demonstrate what is possible. Um, the problem was we also couldn't give states funding to try some of mm. these things. There was very limited federal funding resources available to support a school district implementing a new system, yeah. which is that's a huge barrier. It's yep. like you can't expect the system to just change because there's a better way to do it. People need the resources and the training and the support and all of that stuff to actually execute. Yeah. Um, These are federal programs. Just yeah, yeah. Side federal note. programs. Yeah. Um, make sure, make sure we get that. Yeah. <laughs> get that in there. Right. Um, and so, uh, f for, I mean, to be able to wave the wand, like. What you want is a system that lets a student, um, I mean, Montessori is really ex is, is amazing because in the Montessori method, you trust that if a student is engaged in an activity in a deep way, you don't disturb them. You let them keep doing that even for hours, even if you had something else planned for them. Uh, and you recognize that if they're engaged, learning is happening. Mm. It doesn't matter what the thing is. Um, they're playing outside. They're writing poetry they're doing something they're reading books about lemurs like those activities are somehow helping them learn yeah. and it's like passion-based learning will get you a million times further than anything that a system tries to ascribe to students yep um and so there would be it would be amazing if like we could make the montessori method broadly available to every student and and upgrade it and make it adjustable based off of all sorts of things but like that would require that we like invest way more in teacher education we would need to invest way more in in 
school design, literally the brick and mortar design of schools yep. to give students the space and uh, resources to to be able to explore like that. Yeah. Um, we should do that, <laughs> but it's it's incrementalism, and that's yeah. the only way that it, it works. Yeah, I would I would love to. Um, let's say resources were uh, were an object. Yeah. Um, I would love to start with just figuring out how at at much earlier ages we talk to young people through school, but also with toolkits for parents about mental health and. Yeah. Just helping to empower people even with, on that one, like a with a better model for um, addressing these things, like addressing these them. things, and not um, compounding a stigma yeah. that uh, whether you intend to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To um, whether it's a, a stigma that that you intend to compound through your your actions or or whatever else or not, um, I think families that aren't talking about it um, are sadly, you know, giving their kids over to whatever uh, right. is in the wild. Right is is what I'm trying to say, and and I think we can do better. Yeah. So. Um, Eric, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this conversation has been, um, I think it's going to be really meaningful to a lot of people to hear a little bit about your story. Uh, my last question, mm -hmm. are you still playing World of Warcraft? I'm not. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> what? Uh, there's a mobile version of the game called Hearthstone. It's like a card game version i play yeah. that on the ipad <laughs> you feel sad, I feel so sad. You're, you're no longer you're no longer well, i have a 800 guild yeah member I, that was hard to leader. do when i had real a real job right so i haven't played for a few years now well i didn't even talk about like what we're doing at life unity gets in the way you that's yeah. a perfect segue because oh. what i wanted to <laughs> ask is anything that you want to share with people about Either sure. what Unity is up to or about things you're just generally excited oh about. Oh, boy. Corporate plug. <laughs> you, uh, please. I mean, uh, so it, for any listeners who aren't familiar, I think, um, and many aren't, Unity is, is where a game mention. It's the technology that powers a, a ton of video games, virtual reality, augmented reality experiences. Uh, Pokemon Go is built with Unity. Um, one thing that we care a lot about a lot, which uh, I... I'm I'm glad that we care about it is just empowering more people to be creators of these experiences and not just consumers. And so schools have can get access to the software for free. Uh, so any school out there can just Google search Unity Education Grant and we give away the pro professional version of the software for free to educators. Not some like it's not like a half version totally yeah yeah there's full no like, on yeah it's not freemium you could it's like go the real build thing pokemon go yeah the with sequel. this version totally um, not really because you'd get sued you but... would get sued but <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh nintendo's uh like gangsters none not non with withstanding right um so, so we do that, and and we're working right now to try and figure out how to support more educators to um, empower their students to be creators of some of these virtual things. Um, so, if you're an educator, feel free to reach out. Awesome. 
anywhere that people should uh keep tabs on progress either here at unity or or um, follow you personally um so for unity i think uh we have an education facebook page that's probably the best place to just follow some of our stuff we really need to get like a newsletter or something (laughs) uh and then uh, i mean we have like a full like our unity company-wide newsletter but we're just starting on this education adventure and then uh, for me twitter is pretty good um even though it's a bit of a trash can on fire these days uh my handle is at e-r-i-k-l-a-e-s because clace was my gamer name in world of warcraft right on yeah eric thank you again for your time thank you for more info about how you can sponsor no such thing hit me on twitter at m-a lesser no such thing is produced in partnership with city university of new york's master's program in youth studies at sps learn more at sps.cuny.edu and mouse a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good find us on the web at mouse.org the tracks in this podcast were produced by leroy tindy a guest in episode zero and young man who i beat in a slam dunk contest in 2004 Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. The podcast is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthing.wordpress.